When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What kind of a show is this? It's a show where we just talk. Let's get rocking! In five, four, three, two. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Fauci groupie. I buy KN95 masks, buy the, you know, caseload. How should vaccinated and boosted people behave? We, you can still get COVID. I mean, it is ludicrous. You know, I just think this is such a bad thing for the court. At this point, it is hard to think of them as anything other than right-wing ideologues. They should all just have right-wing talk radio shows. They are not justices in the great tradition of Supreme Court justices. Mr. President, Senator Sinema is opposed to filibuster reform. Can you get this done? About complicated subjects like, can you get this done? I hope we can get this done. The honest to God answer is, I don't know we're going to get this done. Is this my con? Look, I know they're never supposed to look at the poll numbers, but my goodness, in the last six months, it does seem as if the saying of good gets better and bad gets worse. Every time I think the White House thought they've hit bottom, there seems to be a new bottom. The strategy isn't working. Administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. My goodness. Now let's dive into this week's edition of What in God's Name is Joe Biden Trying to Say? But even Dr. King's assassination did not have the worldwide impact that George Floyd's death. Jack Riccardi, afternoons 4 till 7, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. Oh, good, good morning, everybody. Good mid-morning. It's morning somewhere. Morning in America. KTSA News Time is 4.08 a.m. I am Jack Riccardi. This is our dreadful little afternoon show. Welcome to it. I'm glad you're here. 210-599-5555. It's going to be, today's going to be like riding a roller coaster. You ever have that feeling? All right. All of the above was for Don Cooper. Um, a lot going on. I, I could start anywhere. Any one of these things would be a good place to start. So I'll start with this. They swore in Glenn Youngkin as the new governor of Virginia. And, um, and he gave a speech, like you would do. And um, he gave a speech about many things, including and, and very prominently about education in Virginia. If you follow that election, and we talked about it a lot on this show for a show that isn't in Virginia, you know that the the, the turning point of that election where he was running against um, McAuliffe was when McAuliffe said in the debate, parents don't have a say, or I'm paraphrasing, this isn't exactly what he said, but in, in essence, parents should butt out, or parents don't really have a say, or parents should not have uh, control over or a voice in what is taught in the schools. And, and from Youngkin jumped on that, ran with that, and from then on out, it was, it was a different race. So he addressed it in the inaugural address, and he said something that you would think would be applauded across the board. What, he, what I'm about to play for you, 
I'm old enough to remember when Republicans and Democrats all agreed on these words. This is what he said, cut number two. My message to parents is this. You have a fundamental right enshrined in law by this General Assembly to make decisions with regard to your child's upbringing, education, and care. And we will protect and reassert that right. And what you can't see in this clip is that when he says it, the Republican members of the legislature stand up to applaud, and the Democrats sit in cold, glaring silence. This is not okay with them. He says parents have a fundamental right enshrined in law to make decisions about their children's upbringing and education, and they're like, nope. Too controversial for us. It shows you right there who's getting the money from the teachers' unions. The people that stayed in their chairs are the the throne sniffers of these unions. They know where their money is coming from. The Michigan Democratic Party had tweeted and had, and then deleted a post uh, saying that parents are not clients of the public school system. So they had tweeted out on the Democratic Party's account a statement that says, uh, the purpose of public education is not to teach children what their parents think they should know, but what society needs them to know. Quote, not sure where this parent should control what is taught in schools because they are our kids is originating, it says. But parents do have the option to choose to send their kids to a hand-selected private school at their own expense if this is what they desire. They posted it on the 15th. They pulled it down. They got a lot of pushback, but somebody captured it and preserved it. So this is what they think of you. And it's not over just because Youngkin won that election. I hope they keep running on it. Uh, the way the Democrats are now, I hope they make this their central theme in all their races. You know what's going to happen here, right? You can see what's going to happen this fall. If if any of these polls are right, and and not only the polls, but remember, historically, the out-of-power party does really well in the midterms. So if the polls and or history are any indication... Republicans are headed for some big gains. And as I keep telling you, they're not headed for big gains because they've done anything great or they've become a lot more appealing or attractive. They're, they're headed for big gains because voting for a Republican in many places around this country is the only way you can tell the Democrats uh, how much you despise what they're saying and how uh, uh, revolted and offended you are by them. But anyway, the Republicans are going to make all these gains. You can see what's going to happen. The Democrats are already telling us these, these elections are no good. These elections are rigged. They are fraudulent. They will be stolen. They will not allow minority voters to vote. Remember when they called this the big lie? When Trump was saying it? Well, they're doubling down on it. So you may be excited or anticipating a big red wave on election night. And I don't want to rain on your parade, but they're not going to accept this. They're not going to, they're not going to accept such results. If that happens, 
they will not accept those results. And I don't know how far that will go. I don't know if that means they won't seat newly elected House members or they won't, they won't uh, recognize or certify or count votes or, or demand recounts everywhere. I don't know. But you can hear it in the Democratic leadership. When they call it Jim Crow 2.0, when they tell you that um, not getting rid of the filibuster has destroyed the integrity of the 2022 election, an election that is still nine months, ten months away, when they do that, that is signaling that they're not going to concede. They're not going to accept. And they, they're telling their base, this is very interesting, they're telling their base it's hopeless, but don't worry because this election won't count. That's what Trump did. Remember, Trump lost in November, and then he went down to Georgia. Remember, now he's the he's still the president, but it's after the November election. And he goes down to Georgia because Georgia's going to have those special runoffs for the Senate races. And he goes down there ostensibly to campaign for Purdue and, and Leffler, the two Republican senators who were, who were lousy. He didn't like him. I didn't like him. Um, I, I wouldn't have blamed him if he just didn't even go to Georgia. But he goes down to Georgia, and supposedly he's going to tell Georgian Republicans, hey, you gotta, you, you got to keep these guys in so that at least if Biden is president, there's 52 Republicans or 51 Republicans in the Senate. But what does Trump do? He goes down there and talks at all of his campaign appearances primarily about how crappy the November election was and how disappointed he is and he got robbed and so forth. Well, that suppressed the Republican vote in Georgia. It's, you, can, you can look it up. Fewer Republicans turned out in January than had turned out in November. Now, part of that was because Trump wasn't on the ballot, and part of that was because, again, Purdue and Leffler were horrible. But that's what Democrats are telling their voters right now. This doesn't, this, this isn't a real election. This isn't legit. You know what else is on display right now is the misogyny of the modern left. All my life, the lectures about feminism and respecting women and women are equals came from Democrats, came from liberals. They have completely surrendered this argument. They have completely given up on it. And the person who's broken them, more than any other, more than Sarah Palin, you know, <laughs> more than any conservative woman who's out there, more than any conservative Republican woman, you know who broke them? Kirsten Cinema broke them. This is Stephen Colbert on his CBS Late Show last night doing what I guess now passes for late-night comedy. I, this would not be the kind of thing I'd want to watch right before bedtime, but here he is doing the Late Show with Stephen Colbert and talking about Democratic Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema. cut number four. Democrats hope to spend the holiday passing much-needed voting rights legislation. To do that... They have to modify the filibuster, but that dream died last week thanks to Arizona Senator and Mrs. Hamburglar, <laughs> Kirsten Cinema. Last week, Senator Cinema took to the Senate floor to announce that while she values voting, the filibuster is her first love. Stop acting like the filibuster is anything other than an anti-democratic tool, which is also a pretty good description of Kirsten Cinema. Is it, does anybody even remember the Hamburglar? That, that's, I mean, I know I'm known for dated references, but the Hamburglar, wow. That's a footnote of a footnote. Yes, she had a horizontally striped outfit on. And I guess to Stephen Colbert, it reminded him of the Hamburglar from McDonald's. 
So we're making fun of the appearance of women we disagree with on the left now. Remember when that was, remember when they would just take to their fainting couches if Rush Limbaugh did that or when he did that? Remember that? So jabbing at a woman's appearance is unacceptable. Unless that woman is in our way, then go for it. There's no more misogyny. There's no more racism. There's no more homophobia than when the left gets angry at somebody who has not stayed in line. That's when it's at its absolute worst. And um, I, I, I see things like that, and it's I, I was a faithful late-night TV watcher when I was younger. There's no way in hell. And it's not because I disagree with them. This isn't even entertaining. This isn't even funny. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a laugh track. It's an angry old liberal with a laugh track. That's late-night TV. By the way, Kamala Harris says she will not absolve any senator who doesn't vote correctly on the voting rights or filibuster issues. She's not going to absolve them. Where in the Constitution does it say that vice presidents grant absolution? What is she, the Pope of the Senate? And I'm sure that all of this poking fun and making fun and mocking her clothes and threatening not to grant absolution, I'm sure this is going to change Cinema and Mansion. If you were Cinema or Mansion... what? Wouldn't this be digging you in deeper? Wouldn't this be like, okay, now I'm really not giving or negotiating or whatever? Because I keep thinking they're going to cave. Because in my world, sooner or later, people do. And I don't know. I think what stiffened their spine more than anything is the mockery, the ridicule, the disrespect of their own people, their own party. But, boy, it must be tough when Mrs. 29% approval rating comes after you and says she won't grant approval. Wow. That's... That's going to keep you up at night, right? That, that's what did in Don Imus. That's, that was used against Rush Limbaugh numerous times. The left was always quick to say, it, absolutely no body shaming, no fashion shaming. You can't, you can't mock a woman you disagree with for her appearance or her hairdo or her weight or anything. But they do it. They have license to do it. And Kirsten Cinema, who's one of their own, now there's no holds barred. They chased her into a bathroom. They're making fun of her appearance. They've made fun of her bisexuality. So the, these, the, if, if, if you are a woman or an LGBTQ American and you think the Democratic Party is where you belong, it's not for me to tell you what to do, but don't you think you ought to rethink that? Doesn't that seem a little weird to you? Like if they could do it to her and she's a powerful member of their inner circle, what would they do to you if you stepped out of line? And sooner or later, you will. We talked a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. yesterday, MLK Day. And I made the point that I'd always, I always cringe when people do the whole, if he was alive today, he would think this, he would say that. Somebody pointed out to me last night, though, if he was alive today, would he even be allowed to participate in the modern civil rights movement? Because his central message was colorblindness. And colorblindness is now mocked, ridiculed, and um, eviscerated. 
I was reading uh, comments by uh, a woman named Dr. Monica Williams, who wrote in Psychology Today, at its face value, color blindness seems like a good thing. Really taking MLK seriously on his call to judge people on the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. It focuses on commonalities between people. However, she writes, color blindness alone is not sufficient. It is only a half measure that in the end operates as a form of racism. I wonder if they'd call him a racist today. And then the other thing about Martin Luther King Jr. is, to to my knowledge, and I could be wrong about this, but the civil rights movement was not about gay and lesbian people. There were gay and lesbian people prior to 1968. But he would, to my knowledge, he, he didn't give talks about that. He didn't write about that. As Dave Chappelle and others have pointed out, uh, the LGBTQ community has now not only joined, but in some cases has taken over the civil rights movement or moniker to the point where we had the UPenn swimmer uh, say that she was the Jackie Robinson of collegiate sports. So, I, you know, it, we live in a time when words have opposite meanings, right? Orwell wrote about this, war is peace, freedom is slavery. The the greatest civil rights leader our country's produced in the 20th century would probably not be allowed into the civil rights movement of the 21st century. That's hard to argue with. I don't know. It's sad to say this, but you know that when the news broke about the synagogue attack in Colleyville, that there were people hoping the perp would be whatever race or creed they needed him to be for the existing narrative they have. That's that's what we do now in this country. We're like people that have made a puzzle and we're just waiting for one more piece to complete the puzzle. Well he he wasn't he wasn't what they were hoping for. And there now are troubling questions about how he even got into this country and about why our own FBI has such a lack of clarity and had to be kick basically dragged, kicking and screaming into admitting that this was an act of terrorism and that the victims were chosen for their faith, period. Our next guest to talk about that, uh, she's been with us many times before in the KTSA, Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Brigitte Gabriel is a national security analyst, New York Times bestselling author, and the chairman of actforamerica.org. Her latest bestseller is called Rise. And Brigitte Gabriel, good to have you back. Good afternoon to you. I thank you, Jack. I'm delighted to be back with you. By the way, you're breaking up, so if in case I miss anything, I'll ask you to repeat it. That's the reason why. I understand, and apologize for that. Look, um, this th- this attack, when we found out who did it and his background, just what we found so far, could not more clearly be an, an act of terrorism aimed at Jewish Americans and 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 intentionally so why the problem with that well the FBI and the government had a problem coming uh, to uh, to talk about this is because first 
He's a Pakistani Muslim with a criminal record who lives in Britain, who lived in Britain, who was under surveillance and had a record with the uh, British intelligence agency. How can such a man get a visa to enter the United States? Is it because Biden changed uh, the vetting process after President Trump that allowed Islamic radical terrorists to come to the country? There is a reason why the FBI was trying to cover up all the information and not uh, let the truth come to light as early as possible because they knew they had a lot of explaining to do. Part of it was... Why did Biden change the vetting rules? Why did this man come to the United States? How can there be such failure on the part of the FBI and uh, as well as the British intelligence to allow someone like that with that record to get a visa to come to America? And that's the reason why they did not want to talk about it. You know, it's amazing. You and I have talked before about how uh, the, about the rise of anti-Semitism and the excuse-making for radical Islamist terrorism in Europe, yet even the U.K. Foreign Secretary, when she made her first statement about this, called it an act of terrorism and called it anti-Semitic. She's over there making more sense than the officials over here. Uh, yeah, exactly, because that's exactly what it is. It's an anti-Semitic attack. He targeted Jews because he hated Jews. Uh, and what better, if he's going to commit an attack against Americans, that he would do it with Jewish people. I mean, radical Islamists hate Jews. It's very simple. It's very clear in the commandment of the Quran for those who are adherent to the strict interpretation of the Quran and the words of the Prophet. So this way he kills two birds with one stone. He can hijack Americans, become a hero or a martyr, uh, and those Americans happen to be Jewish, and it's a win-win every way around. Yeah, because, I mean, if you just needed hostages in order to secure the release of a prisoner, you could take any hostages anywhere. He could have taken them right. uh, as soon as he touched down in this country. What, what are you waiting to uh, hear, or what's the next shoe to drop, do you think, in this story? Because, obviously, we're at the beginning of this investigation. Well, I wonder how much the FBI was involved. Did the FBI help him? Uh, how did this guy get into the country, make it to Dallas, stay at a shelter in Dallas, uh, live there and be able to buy a gun on the street and then go do this? So I yeah. wonder how much the FBI was involved. How much did the FBI uh, know about this? Uh, did they, uh, were, were they a part of this? Uh, look, we know that in Garland, Texas, when the, when the terrorist uh, attack uh, over the um, 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 what do you call it? Muhammad cartoon characters. Remember right. in Garland, Texas, we knew right. that the FBI was actually involved uh, in yeah. the terrorist attack because they were working with these so-called terrorists. So in here, how much are they involved? So that would be very interesting to come out because our government is obviously very busy spending money, especially this government, on monitoring American parents who are concerned about what their children are studying at school and their children wearing masks to school. Our president and our government is spending money fighting American citizens instead of paying attention to terrorist, activi- uh, terrorist groups like this. Yeah, boy, that's but well said. Very good. 
but you know what's so I, the irony about this? And I do not know if you know about this. The rabbi, I know a member of that synagogue who left the synagogue to few issue. One of them, the rabbi of that synagogue, called Israel an apartheid state against Islam. And the second reason he left the synagogue is because the rabbi did not allow his members, including my friend, to be armed during services. And here's the mm. irony. Now the rabbi yeah. is held by a hostage who's a Muslim man with a gun. Yeah. Well, as we know very well here in Texas, uh, faith communities are going to have to start getting real uh, about security and taking that in-house. Many have, and if they haven't already, it's it's really irresponsible. Uh, Brigitte yeah. Gabriel, always good to have you on with us, uh, author of the book Rise and chairman of actforamerica.org. Brigitte, thank you so much tonight. Thank you, Jack. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. You as well. We'll talk to you soon. 446 on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hope your afternoon is going well, and you're invited to always jump in here and join the conversation at 210-599-5555. You also, I think, heard uh, Dennis mention in the news that we're expecting a chance for some freezing precipitation uh, on Thursday. So we asked you on the JR poll today, powered by Stevens Roofing, are you hoping for snow in San Antonio this winter? Are you one of those people? One of those people. Listen to that. Are you one of those people hoping it snows? We'll talk. I take down all the Christmas decorations, indoors and out, and I know, I just know that in a few days I'm going to find, and I put them all away, pack them up, box them up into the attic, I just know I'm going to find one I missed. I haven't found it yet, but I know it's out there. Every year I forget one. Do you do that? Because what happened was you had them up, and you saw them all the time, and you started sort of looking past them or through them, like you know they, they were invisible to you. Your, your, your everyday surroundings are hard to take note of, right? And sure enough, you'll, one day you'll just look up and go, oh, wait a minute, I didn't put that away. Or what's that still doing on the mantle or the shelf or whatever it is? So anyway. Haven't found it yet, but I know I'm going to. I'll keep you posted. I know you're hanging on that. Um, so we've been talking on the show on and off about what I have come to call excuse signs. Do you know what excuse signs are? You go into a business, or you don't even go into the business. You go to a, a, a place of business, and it's often a restaurant, but it could be any kind of business. And there's a sign on the door now, and we've all gotten used to reading the signs on the door because with COVID, you had to know if they had a mask rule or whatever. Could you come in? Are you allowed to go in? So anyway, but the excuse signs have proliferated. And excuse signs are when the sign puts up, uh, the business rather, puts up a handwritten, usually a handwritten sign or a quickly printed out sign that says, before you come in, we're shorthanded, we're short on stuff, we're lacking ingredients. We can't make all the stuff on our menu. Please bear with us. It's going to be slower. We apologize in advance. And it's a function of, of a lot of things, right? COVID and the workforce and the supply chain. and, and Okay, so businesses are, you know, the, the whole premise of a business is we want you to come in we're going to dazzle you, we're going to wow you, we're going to give you outrageously good service. Now all of a sudden businesses are putting right on their front door, lower your expectations. Don't get your hopes up. Don't think you're going to come in and order that favorite dish that you always get when you eat here because we might not have it. This has become common. So today, 
this morning I stopped at a coffee place and I saw and it was the, it was the drive-through because they put these signs on the drive-through and the sign had been you know like professionally printed it had the font of the company it was in color it was made of durable stuff it was part of the signage it's it looked permanent and i thought and it and it discouraged me a little bit because i thought to myself okay the excuse signs had an air of the temporary about them like just for now just for the duration or until we get back on our feet but this looked like hey from now on we're not going to have stuff from now on, this line is going to be slow. From now on, we're going to be shorthanded. What goes through your mind when you see the excuse signs? What goes through your mind if you're a business owner and you've had to put up an excuse sign? And I'm not attacking you when I say this. I, w- I want you to do well. I want your business to succeed. I know these problems are not of your making. I know that it's not your fault that you can't get people to come to work or fully staff your place or your supplier, you ordered X, Y, and Z, but only X and Y got delivered this week. I, I know that's not your fault. But you know what? I, I'm sick and tired, and I hope you are too, of settling for this. This is not okay. This is a big step down. And somebody needs to say it. I'm, I'm tired of just going along with it or, oh, well, okay. I can remember, you can remember, we all can, when businesses were busting their vest buttons to tell you how great it was going to be, how great they were, how much better they were than everybody else. They wanted to give you, they wanted to exceed your expectations. When did we when did we start settling for this? And how long are we going to settle for it? And where do we go to get that situation back again? Because these excuse signs are pathetic. And again, this is not an attack on the business. I'm on your side. I want you to do better. I know you do too. I can't think of any business person in any kind of business who would put a sign like that up and be and be okay with it. You and I cannot be okay with it. And when I saw that today, it it was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, because when I saw that sign today, I thought, they've made this one to last. The other ones were paper. They had been printed out on a like an inkjet printer. They were just scotch-taped onto the speaker for the drive-thru. This was built onto the sign like it was behind plastic. It had an air of permanence to it. Is that what they want to say? Is that what this business wants to say? Hey, from now on, service is going to suck. This is not who we are, to quote a former president. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. Excuse signs are a sign uh, of real trouble. And, and, And again, I don't want to get carried away, but if you extrapolate this out, if we are supposed to lower our expectations about where we go to get food or coffee or gasoline or buy stuff. Then eventually we're going to start to lower our expectations about everything. And then as we lower our expectations, you know this is 
just a, 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 you know, sort of the human condition. As we lower our expectations, we will actually do less, produce less. We will be less excellent as a country. And then in the changing world that we're in, this is a, this is a century of upheaval. This is a century where new forces and new powers seek to be what the United States used to be. And maybe they will be and maybe they won't be. I don't know. But we're not in the best position to be a global competitor if everything we do is about diminished expectations. We've even done it with our children. You know, I hear a lot of people say, and they say it like it's no big deal. Well, uh, that remote learning, that distance learning really didn't work. Really didn't work. That's like saying the Hindenburg didn't make a, a, a successful landing or the, you know, the Titanic didn't finish its voyage. I mean, we, we decimated the education of young people in this country. We're still doing it. And if we settle for that, you, you need to know the rest of the world is not settling for that. The, the countries that seek to supplant us as dominant, they're not settling. I hope we're not settling. Are we settling? How do you see it? 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. And, and again, just to be clear, so we don't waste a lot of time arguing about something that isn't an argument, I'm not saying these businesses need to get up off their ass. I, I, I get the realities they're up against. We cannot, we meaning they and us, we cannot get used to this. Tim is at 210 599 at KTSA. Tim, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Yeah, I, I just want to note a couple answers to three different restaurants that before the pandemic had an items and now they don't. For instance, Bill Miller, they stopped using corn tortillas. So guess what? I've boycotted um, Bill Miller. Then I go to Sea Island. They no longer have grilled trout. Well, what's the pandemic got to do with getting trout? I went to Chewy's. Chewy's doesn't have charro beans or baracho beans, but I can go down the street to Alamo Cafe and I can get charro beans. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. They had these on their menu, and now they don't. I just don't yeah. get it. Well, I don't. I don't know the particulars of those situations, and I'm not. In, I don't want to. I don't want to start singling people out and slapping them around because that's not going to do us any good. I, I, my guess, Tim, and maybe you disagree, is that. If those restaurants could serve you those things, they'd want to serve you those things, wouldn't they? Well, you know, I would think, and then you're talking about scale down. I know you cover a lot of this on the dish, but there was a great restaurant in the rim that I found the other day for the first time. Fantastic service, big menu, young girls were great waitresses. So I think there are some out there that are actually Mm. trying to make up for the ones that are not. Yeah, no, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there are people that are trying to, uh, you know, still exceed expectations. But Tim, thank you for the call. I, I guess where I'm going with this is not let's not let's not start making a uh, a list of places that have hacked us off. I, 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 because I want them all to do well, but there is a mindset that will accept less, and we're being conditioned. To accept less, we're being told even by our political leaders, "Oh, there's no supply chain problem. You're just greedy. You just expect things right away." I mean, that was the line from the White House before Christmas. 
oh, there's no supply chain problem. You people just have gotten too used to ordering things and having them delivered the next day. Well, we got used to that because it's possible. It's possible and it's profitable. And if that is not possible anymore, and I'm not sure I believe that it is not possible, but if that's not possible anymore, there are some hard questions as to why that is. It's not that we are greedy or we got spoiled. That was progress. You know, if if you're in a time of war or deprivation, I read somewhere one time that during World War II, I don't know if this is true, you couldn't buy sliced bread. You had to buy the whole loaf. And they were saving money on on. They were trying not to use knives, and they were saving metal for the war effort. That's fine. Everybody understands that. This is not that. And and I think we need to ask hard questions. And we need to ask them not in an accusatory way of the business, but we need to ask each other and our so-called leaders, why are you conditioning us to expect less? Laura is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Laura, good afternoon. Yes, you are exactly right. I think they're trying to condition us for what, you know, what we should do. I was on a trip to Louisiana about three weeks ago, came back, was this side of Houston. I don't even recall where it was, stopped at a Whataburger. And, you know, the line wasn't out to the road yet, and I could still get in the parking space. And I go in, go to the restroom, come back out. My mother-in-law says, oh, I haven't gotten waited on yet. I said, okay. So I go up there to order, and I'm standing at the counter, and this lady comes around, and she goes, were you wanting to order? "Mm, Yeah, your first clues. I'm standing in front of the register. But (laughs) (laughs) anyway, so um, she goes, oh, I'll have to tell you, it's going to be 25 to 30 minutes before you get your food. And I went, what? And she said, oh, well, we've had quite a, you know, large crowd. I said, you don't have anybody in the restaurant. I am the only one. There's not anybody sitting Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have a, you know, we've had a lot in the drive-thru and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's two ladies with uniforms on standing right there, the entrance to the kitchen, comparing their phones. And I looked at that lady and I said, well, maybe you ought to ask these two if they're off of work to leave and play mm. with their phones someplace else mm. so that I don't get the impression that y'all really don't want to wait on people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I when, when you see something like that, it's hard to accept that they just, this is the best they can do. But uh, yeah. but I, I, I think I there are, I will say, Laura, I do think, and thank you for your call, and, and again, I don't want to start, let's not, let's not have a beat down on every business that we don't like or that did us wrong in the last week. Um, but I, I do think there are businesses that are trying and and really cannot put it across right now. We need to ask why that is persisting. Um, it, 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 we are not in some sort of existential crisis. We're not stacking up bodies in the street. It's not World War II. It's not the Great Depression. And our competitors in the world are not not telling their populations expect less but we the country that led the world are being told by our leaders to expect less and and by the way i i think part of this may also be the green economy because when you go to the green economy you are going to have more power interruptions 
You're going to have a less reliable power supply. We talked yesterday about the guy that wrote the whole piece in the New Yorker about how refrigeration and air conditioning is greed and it needs to go away. You're being conditioned to take this gigantic step backwards and think this this is great. It's so green. It's not green. It's pathetic. All right, 210-599-5555. Jack on KTSA and Mark is next on the radio. Mark, good afternoon. Hello, Jack. It's always nice to hear your voice. Uh, I got a couple comments, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get too all over the place, but I think that back uh, before the COVID kind of locked down uh, the economy the way it did, the uh, progressives were shooting for the $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, it, it seems like to me that they pretty much got that and more. Uh, everywhere you look at, there's signs that say hiring bonus, right. $15 right. an hour to start at McDonald's, what right. have you. And, um, you know, they've pretty much gotten that. Um, on the other side of it, as far as the, uh, the, the bad service goes, um, you know, I don't, like you say, I don't think any business wants to fail. Uh, and I go to a lot of restaurants where service is, is, is pretty good. Uh, but like I say, I think that just based on, on the fact that uh, people want to earn more money for doing less, that you're right. We're, 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 getting, uh, we're getting conditioned in that regard. Well, I like the point you made about the 15 because, yes, um, in, a, in a sort of indirect, while nobody was noticing way, um, that, that came true. Um, and we were yeah. we were assured by the people who were plumping for that 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 would uh, that when once once those workers got fifteen uh, why we'd be dazzled you'd be amazed uh, it was yeah. going to uncork all this efficiency and productivity the opposite has happened and I, I'm with you I've been in businesses where there was an excuse sign on the front door and then the service was pretty good. Which makes me wonder even more, what is that sign doing there? Why, why everywhere I turn am I being told, don't get your hopes up? That's <laughs> very strange, right? Maybe not to younger people, I don't know. But to me, I, I get, I keep coming back to, I remember when businesses were, were climbing over each other. Uh, to, uh, you know, we're going to take better care of you. We're going to do more for you. We have the best this. We have the best that. We'll get you in and out faster. I know that's their model, but suddenly it doesn't look like it is. Maybe this will all be over in a couple of months. But you're seeing more and more excuse signs, and it makes you wonder. 210-599-5555. And um, it'll be interesting to hear from people that maybe if you've ever had to put up a sign like that. you know, how, how, if, if you're the one that made that sign. Because you're the manager, or you're the the owner of the business, I and mean, how do, how does that strike you? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Chris is next on the radio on KTSa. Chris, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How's it going, guys? Good. How are you? Can't complain. My deal is, I mean, even back before Christmas time, I mean, Saki was on the news talking about this Christmas. Me, what I had to learn about settling. We might right. not get the presents, things of that right. nature. I mean, I'm a small business owner here in San Antonio, and I strive and I try and tell my kids, in order to get the best, you got to, you know, dish out the best. 
so now the government's trying, you know, at a younger age, tell our children, you don't have to be, just settle. I mean, and you're going against, not only in school, as far as education goes, you're even getting on our home life and, you know, don't listen to your parents. You don't have to produce to be the best. Just learn how to settle and get by. And that's mm-hmm. not the American way that I was brought up. Mm-hmm. So what, what, when did this start? Did this start with COVID or did this start before COVID? I think this started uh, maybe halfway between. We saw more of it, I mean, when all those tankers are off the shore, not landing, whatever, when everything started talking about we had to settle on what was coming in and make do. But like you just said, we're not making do like World War II where metal had to be, you know, put on the safe side, you know, to protect the country. I mean, where it's hitting that now, I think is just an excuse. Not so much of why we have to do without, but the yeah. excuse in society. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the call. Appreciate what you said. Uh, Janie is on the Jack Riccardi Show on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Janie. Hello. What do you think about all this? I work. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I work at a restaurant, and true, we do get a we're getting less and less supplies, and now we found out our distributor is going to drop us off, drop us because they don't have enough stuff in the warehouse to supply for our stores. Yeah. And uh, our manager, where I work at, bless her heart, um, stuff that we can uh, maybe go to, uh, like, Restaurant Depot and mm-hmm. other places, uh, she will send uh, the system managers to see if they can, you know, grab things, and that way we can at least have something in the menu and stuff. Uh, fortunately, even some of the places are out, too. Um, I wind up doing some stuff, uh, you know, buy things, and, you know, they, they'll they put it in there, but what yeah. can we say? I mean, and also it turns out that uh, one of the system managers asked the, uh, the, uh, one of the drivers uh, what's going on, what's happening. He says, well, they're also short of drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so, another strange. Janie, does this feel to you like it's temporary, or does this feel to you like a new kind of normal thing that people just going to accept? Can I be honest? That we yeah. can vote these people who are not doing their jobs out of office and get somebody who really cares about America? Yeah, we'll be back where we used to be, but if they're doing the same thing, they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to look like we're going to just... Just settle with whatever they're gonna put for us. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right about that. Yep. Well, hang in there, Janie. I appreciate I appreciate your call. Thank you. Vicky just emailed me a story from KXAN TV, which is I had I had noticed some of this too. Not only are there excuse signs in businesses, but even utility companies like ERCOT and CPS. Every time we get a, a dip in the temperature, oh, you're going to have some outages. And, oh, it's good. Don't, don't be surprised if there's some interruptions of service. And everybody's in on it, right? Everybody, everybody suddenly is trying to dampen your expectations. Everywhere you look, you are being told, politicians, everyone. So the message is don't expect stuff to work the way it used to. Well, okay, in a time of real national emergency, that would not only be expected, but it would probably go without saying. I'm talking about like a World War II level national emergency. 
and or 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 locally okay so if 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 you live in a community that just had tornadoes come through or a hurricane come through okay yes you you would know that businesses will be understaffed wiped out don't have inventory our freezers failed okay but what i'm talking about is this sort of norming of the lower expectations like it's not sorry today we're out of you know tomato sauce or today we're out of uh, chicken patties. This is sort of the from now on <laughs> thinking that I, I don't know about you, but I'm not accepting that. And I will, as one of the callers pointed out, I will I will try to reward businesses that are rising above it. And I have I have some questions about businesses that are making it part of their permanent message. I mean, what does it mean when you when you walk up to the door of a business and you're free to go anywhere? And they're free to, you know, serve you. What does it say when the first thing you see is a sign that says lower your expectations? And I mean, some of them are are, are almost comical. I went I went into a restaurant the other night, and um, I forget the exact wording, but it was like you may not be greeted for a while or something. <laughs> what? Should I just stay out here? I mean, what? But that's their. You know, I guess that's their way of of making sure nobody complains or I want to see a manager. I've been standing here for twenty minutes. But but I mean, it's up to us to start asking the question, why is this happening and why are we being told to get used to it? And I would love for business owners to be the ones to lead the question asking and the demanding of better. And I know some of them have. I mean, we've we've had some very opinionated people, for example, talk about the whole business of plussed-up unemployment. We had people like Robert Fleming and Louis Barrios and others, local restaurateurs here in San Antonio, who came on the air and said, look, this is a, this is a mistake. You're going to be sorry if you keep doing this, if you keep paying people not to work. They were right. Um, I, I don't think we should reward politicians who tell us to get used to less. If they can't deliver, they need to be changed out. And if the people who we change them out for don't deliver, they need to be changed out. You know, I know Republicans are going to probably do pretty well later this year. They better have a lot of answers. They better have a very, very different approach. If they just have a new version of the old excuses, we're done with them too. At least I am. 210 599 55. So we're going to talk about that. Um, this was a story yesterday, and it's gotten bigger, and we didn't have a chance to even get to it yesterday. There's a man who, he's a businessman, and he's also one of the owners of the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. And he had done an interview on a podcast where they brought up the hot-button issue of, um, uh, you know, China's persecution of the Uyghur ethnic group this is a minority muslim group in china that has been put in concentration camps has been has had their their civil rights and their dignity grossly violated uh, openly so by the chinese communist regime and the nba which is preaching against racism and against hate in america is you know glad handing and Backslapping and aw shucksing its way through what China's doing. Why is it okay to keep uh, 
criticizing or demanding more here and not there. So this, this question was put to this man, and he gave an answer. I'll, we'll, we'll play it after the news. He, he gave an answer for which he has been absolutely ripped. But he actually gave perhaps the most honest answer anyone in the NBA has ever given. So you got to hear this. Now he's now he's crumbling and backing down, which is interesting in its own way. You, I mean, you can have an opinion about anything, but how do you use this medium to its greatest effectiveness and 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 entertain people? And and and, a, and an executive uh, who I worked for said to me, "Look for phonies and puncture phoniness." And it was simple advice. You can find it anywhere. You can find hypocrisy and phoniness in in politics and in sports and in, in in business and in, in the culture. And there's so much hypocrisy. Just to give one example, in professional sports, every professional sports league in America right now is on a bender of sloganeering and virtue signaling about racism in America. But every single one of those sports profits supremely, richly in China, a country whose current, right now, up to the minute, abuses of race and gender and liberty dwarf anything we've ever done in this country. So while they are busy atoning for real and imagined ills, not a word can be heard about China because they need the money. See, we're so stupid, we give them our money, even when they tell us how awful we are and have always been. But China won't do that. You you call out China, even a little, even if one guy in the NBA calls out China and China cracks the whip. And the NBA or MLB or NFL, they get in line quick, right? So they're interviewing this uh, part owner. He's in a group of people that own the Golden State Warriors. Um, and he's a uh, businessman in his own right. His name is Chamath Polyhapatia. And um, the question comes up. And, Don, I think we have the clip. The question comes up about um, the persecution of the Uyghur ethnic minority in China because the NBA does so much business in China. Listen to what, this is what he said on the podcast, cut number one. Listen to this. Nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? You, you bring it up because you really what? care, and I think what that's do you mean nice that you cares? care. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling you a very care? hard. So wait, I'm you're saying you personally don't care? I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth. Okay, of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line. Okay, oh, of all the things that I care about, it is below my line. So he says, people say, "Oh, it's terrible," but they don't do anything about it. You you may have said that, but you haven't done anything about it. Why should I do anything about it? He says, "There's nothing I can do about the Uyghurs." This was in a podcast. Now, this was in front of me yesterday, and I always have this pile of stuff we're going to talk about, and I never get to the bottom of it. God God help us if I ever get to the bottom of it, because then you'll hear dead air. But um, I just didn't get to it. 
And uh, we decided we would try to get to it today. Well, in the meantime, now this guy, Polyhapatia, is is walking it back. So that's what he said. Um, but the guy must have had his arm twisted. He must have had some pressure. Remember, you heard him say, not only do I not care, but I'm not... I don't even care that I don't care. I mean, I don't care that you're shocked that I don't care. You heard it, right? And um, now he's saying um, important issues deserve nuanced discussions. Um, my, uh, in, He says, in re-listening to the podcast, I came across as lacking empathy, I acknowledge that as a refugee, my family fled a country with human rights issues, etc., etc. My belief is that human rights matter, whether in China, the United States, or elsewhere, full stop. Well, that's bull bleep. What he said originally is truth. He doesn't care. I believed him the first time, didn't you? I mean, he sounded like he didn't care. He doesn't care. They don't care. I was actually, my angle was going to be, congratulations, mister, I've never heard of you before. Because (laughs) that's the truth, they don't care. All those slogans, they've painted it on the floor, and they've painted it on the court, and they've put it on their uniforms, and and what have you, and we're going to have the Black National Anthem before the game. That's all a bunch of nothingness. You know what that's there for? That's there so the athletes will play. Because there was a moment around the time Kaepernick came out and the teams weren't kneeling and then George Floyd, there was a moment when all these sports executives had a moment of absolute wet-yourself, crap-your-pants panic, pardon my language. They were afraid that their predominantly African-American athletes might not play anymore, might strike. And so everything that was demanded was given. You can put it on your shirt. You can put it on your helmet. You can put it on the floor. You can put it on the sidelines. We'll paint it in the end zone. We'll do. But they don't care. That wasn't caring. That was soothing. (laughs) That was complying. So what he said originally, he should have stayed with because it was the truth. It just sounds really ugly. The truth is they don't care about the Uyghurs. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling you a very care? hard... So I'm you're saying you personally don't care? I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth, okay? Of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line, okay? Oh, of all the things that I care about, it is below my line. I, at least he says it, right? I mean, Pop doesn't say it. The owners of the Spurs don't say it. Uh, what's his name? Um, Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, doesn't say it. They always say they care. They always say, oh, this, no, this is, these things are important to us, but no, they're not. No, they're not. The Warriors even put out a statement. Now, this is one of their owners. This isn't an employee of the Golden State Warriors. This is one of their owners. They put out a statement. He doesn't speak for us. <laughs> Who? We don't even know him. I, just, just tell the truth. Just stop pretending care about this stuff you just care about money you just care about money and making it and and i'm all right with that you know i if i watch your sport i just want to be entertained i don't watch it because i think you're good people 
Does anybody turn on a sporting event and go, I feel like spending some time with some virtuous people. I'm going to put on a game. Said no one ever. Okay? So I, I know what the deal is. If I watch, I'm, I'm settling for that. If you choose not to watch or you've boycotted the NBA or the NFL, that's your statement and that's fine too. Just, let's just be honest about it though. They don't care. And, um, they only take a strong line here because it doesn't cost anything, at least not yet, to take a strong line here. So you can go on and on about George Floyd and slavery and, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter because that's not, not only does that not cost, but they may even think in the short term those are profitable uh, stances or, uh, you know, that's profitable ground to stake out. And it may be. The minute it isn't or it costs them, the minute wokeism costs anything, boy, it goes away. <laughs> I mean, it really does, right? And that's the, the, the fleeting nature of this. It's not about feelings or convictions. And that's why the, whatever happens to the Uyghurs in China, the, the NBA will not be their liberators. He was right the first time, this guy. I think the guy probably said the quiet part out loud. There's a lot of that, right? Um, so you're not, you're not supposed to explain how this stuff works. But um, look, we're, we're, we're doing business in China. We're making a ton of money. There's a billion and a half people there. They're crazy about the NBA, or so they say. I don't, I don't know that firsthand. I keep hearing that. Um, and uh, we just don't want to step on any toes over there. And their, their government is particular about that stuff. They don't, they don't weather the criticism. So we know. And, and it's not just the NBA, it's General Motors and General Electric and all these American companies. You saw the CEO of Nike last year proclaiming, we are a Chinese company. <laughs> it's not, not remotely true, but it must have sounded good to his Chinese overlords. Now, why not just let that stand? Yeah, you're going to get criticism and people are going to say, how dare you, that's terrible, it's so insensitive. But they're making his point. It's just words. Is the United States going to invade China and liberate the Uyghur camps like we liberated concentration camps in Nazi Germany? This is 0.0% chance we're ever going to do that. So should we just talk a lot about it? Will that make it better? Will the Uyghurs somehow know? Oh, boy, our ears are burning. They must be talking about us in America. No. I believed him the first time. I don't believe all this other baloney he put out. I'm, a, I'm an immigrant, and I know how it is, and I care about everybody, and all civil rights are important. No, they're not. They're not even all important in this country. We, we are trampling openly and proudly on the civil rights of Americans. We've, met, we've made um, the avoidance of COVID, which, by the way, is not a realistic goal, Zero COVID cases, not a good public policy. But we've made the avoidance of COVID uh, a justification for dividing and, and segregating Americans in ways that I didn't think I'd see in my lifetime or see again in my lifetime. Uh, so, yeah, I can certainly believe that the NBA is not 
staying up at night worrying about their position on the Uyghur minority in China. They're not, they're not too interested in the minorities in this country. And you know the ones I mean. And then the things they do proclaim to care about. I'll give you another one, and you're gonna, this is going to make people mad, but I'll tell you right now, all of the, the flyovers of the military planes and the, we're going to wear, uh, the NBA, the uh, NFL has a, a weekend where they wear, uh, combat fatigue, uh, uniforms or combat fatigue, uh, hoodies and stuff. I'm sorry to tell you this, and I don't mean it disrespectfully to those of you who are serving or have served, but that's a very cynical, calculated move. I mean, and I know you know that, but it has to be said. There's not a lot of appreciation for anybody, anywhere, anything, unless it is a profit center. And this is not me telling you don't watch. This is just me telling you know that when you do. And I think I think most people do. So we'd be better off if people just told us the real reason they do or don't do something, I think. You know, you could still hate what the guy said, but you'd know he meant it. By the way, I, I heard something really made me wonder. I had to read the article. I saw a headline... You know Heidi Klum, the the model? There was a headline that said Heidi Klum has her legs insured for $2 million. Okay, I can see that. But one leg was more expensive than the other. I had to read that. Would you could you skip over that? I had to know why that was. She she insured her legs for $2 million according to people. But the reason one is insured more than the other is because one of them, when she was young, she cut herself on some glass, and she has a scar on one leg, and she can cover it up, obviously. But one leg is more insured than the other. I, I just I had to know I had to know why, you know. I know we all have one leg that's bigger than the other. I didn't know we had one leg that was more expensive than the other. Well, we don't, but Heidi Klum does. It seems like there wouldn't be any left but there after last February, but there are people that are hoping we get some snow on Thursday. Um, I moved here to get away from snow, okay? I want you to know that. You need to know that. If you're hoping for snow, then we can't be friends because... because how much further south do I have to go? What, do I have to live on the equator? You know, I uh, I know I don't want it to snow on Thursday or any other day this year or any other year while I'm above ground in San Antonio. This is a good question. A listener named Carrie asked me this today, and I've been wondering it as well. You probably have heard on the news over the last 24 or 48 hours or so, there's been a lot of stories about the catastrophe that is about to happen when 5G services are turned on. The new services from companies like Verizon and AT&T was originally supposed to start the first of the year. They pushed it back. And now, I guess it's tomorrow is 5G day. And there was a story yesterday about how helicopters might crash. And today there's a story about how... um, the airlines are warning that thousands of flights may be canceled and hundreds of thousands of passengers may be uh, inconvenienced because the launch of 5G is going to interfere uh, technically 
with commercial airliners. And Carrie's question, which is a really good one, is haven't they been promoting 5G for like months or years? I mean, that, that little girl in the blue sweater and the AT&T commercials that everybody loves, hasn't she been talking about, it seems like every football and college basketball game I watch, every commercial break, she's on there talking about 5G. If she knew it was coming, how did the airlines not know? How did the FAA not know? How did the, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, why is this suddenly, and, and so if somebody understands this and can explain it to us ignoramuses, why is this suddenly an emergency when it's been in the works and planned for such a long time? And then I heard, I think it was on our news, they said, well, the way they're going to address it is they're going to turn off the 5G service around airports. That sounds great because, you know, if there's one place you don't ever need your phone, it's when you're at or near an airport. Clearly, we can do without them there. So should, that should work out great. Sounds terrific. Anybody know why this is suddenly a thing? 210-599-5555. guy named Ed Fuller is a professor at Penn State University. I guess he's a professor of education. I looked him up. And, um, I, you know, just when you think it can't get any crazier or there can't be a crazier take on the vax wars, uh, leave it to old Ed Fuller. So he tweeted, um, and then he took it down, but people, you know, screen saved it and have been sharing it. That um, maybe people who wear masks should get drunk. Now, stay with me on this. Masked people should get drunk and drive and speed through neighborhoods of pro-COVID people. If you don't know the term pro-COVID, if you're uh, resistant to wearing masks or resistant to getting vaccinated, you are now pro-COVID. You didn't know that, right? You're on COVID's team. You're team COVID. I thought team COVID was in Wuhan, didn't you? Anyway. So he says, maybe people that wear masks, us good people, should get drunk and drive recklessly through the pro-COVID neighborhoods. Um, meaning, in other words, kill the, par- kill the children of these pro-COVID people. This is a professor of education. That means his job is to train people who will be teachers. So he deleted it, and um, I'm sure there'll be the, I mean, we we know how the story's going to go, right? There'll be the obligatory, he does not speak for us. We're very disappointed, and we're going to have a conversation with him about his, possibly he'll be suspended or reassigned or turn up at some other college where you're going to be sending your kids. This is the state of higher education right now, and... um, If you want to know how we got into the morass we did with distance learning and critical race theory and the uh, radicalization of the classroom agenda, well, if you're being trained to go out into the classroom by the Ed Fullers, and presumably there's more than one of him, 
then that that there's your answer. I don't know. I said this last night. I don't know what you. I don't know how you reason with a person. We we had the survey last night of forty five percent of Democrats in a survey want unvaccinated people sent to internment camps. Fifty nine percent would be okay with them just being under house arrest. Where is the middle ground? How how would you reach across the aisle to somebody like that? What would be the halfway that would be acceptable to you and to them? Internment camps, house arrest. Mow down their children with your car. I don't see. I don't. I'm not. I'm not preaching hate. I'm not telling you how to feel about another person. But I don't know how. And you should. You should stay friends with your friends, and you should stay in touch with your relatives. Don't give up on anybody ever. But when it comes to political compromise my point is there there just there isn't one there there can't be one there with with people that truly believe this i guess we should be grateful for the 55% of democrats that weren't crazy about the internment camp idea it's a hopeful sign still got a majority of them but you know i i don't think if you think, well, we can find middle ground, or that's what's wrong with this country, we just don't have any compromise anymore, your idea of compromise would be you, you'll you let go of a little bit of your stuff. How does somebody that wants to put you in a camp let go of a little bit of that? <laughs> right? There just isn't any way. And um, it's it's they've given up trying to persuade you or convince you. They just don't want to have to see you anymore. They don't want to have to deal with you anymore. And I guess in their mind, they must think, well, if we threaten them enough and we uh, make bolder and bolder sort of, uh, you know, threats and, and, and promises of, of totalitarianism, they'll just they'll, they'll surrender to our point of view. I don't know how that's supposed to work. Sort of the same thing when we were talking earlier about Senators Manchin and Cinema. I know this seems like a, a stretch, but why would making fun of them or calling them racist or comparing them to George Wallace, if you need their vote, how in the hell would that get you their vote? But apparently they think it will. If we just insult them a little more, <laughs> you know, they've come around to us. Does this work for you? It wouldn't work for me. I, maybe I'm stubborn, but that would stiffen my resolve. I would be even more determined not to. You start doing that with me, and, and, and you're never getting it. So we'll see. In the meantime, I'll see you in the camps. So no judgment, and we're not talking about hoarding. But how would you complete this sentence? If you're If you're willing to tell me. How would you complete this sentence? I own a ridiculous amount of blank. I own a ridiculous amount of blank. I'll go first. You know, I like to read. I talk about that a lot. And the thing about books is, you know, there's always time to get another book. There's always time to order one or go to the library or what have you. But not for me. I like to have a lot of books. I 
looked forward to the day when I would have room in a house. When I lived in an apartment, I couldn't have very many books. When I get a house, I'm going to have more books. I, I took a survey over the holidays. I now have, I think, about 600 books. And it's all purposeful. Every one of them is for a reason. I'm going to read them. I am reading them. But uh, it's a ridiculous number of books to keep on hand. I mean, who, you don't really need to have all those books. You could, you could say, well, I'm going to read 600 books over the course of my life, but you don't need to have them all in your house. I do. So I, I'll admit that. And people are nice. Nobody blurts out, what are you, crazy? But, you know, I know people, when they see it, probably think, what in the heck? Am I at a bookstore? So I have a ridiculous amount of books. What do you have a ridiculous amount of? If you're willing to admit it, 210-599-5555. You can also email me, jack at ktsa.com. There's no judgment. There may be a little bit of laughter, but I promise it'll be good-natured and not derisive. Well, not for me, anyway. Uh, what do you have a ridiculous amount of at your house? There, you know, I think we all have the, the, or many of us have had the experience when we were growing up, you know, you live with your parents and you have stuff, and maybe you have stuff in your room or you have stuff in the attic or whatever, and then you go away or you move away or whatever, and you leave stuff at your parents' house, and, and you just figure everything's going to be there, everything will be fine. I don't know how your mom was. My mom threw stuff away that would break your heart. Um, my brother had a comic book collection. Threw it away. <laughs> she did not know they were collectible. Did not know that they might be collectible. Threw them away. Um, I had built these model airplanes. You know, the, the kits, Ravel and AMC and all that stuff. You know, World War II planes and Vietnam War planes and stuff like that. I don't know what I would do with them if I had them now, but I would like to have them now. Threw them away. So, What do you own a ridiculous amount of that your mom did not throw away? 210-599-5555. Uh, Renee says records. Yeah, I could probably, I could agree with that one, Renee. I, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of vinyl. But, um, I wonder how many is a ridiculous amount. If you if you think it's a ridiculous amount, maybe you can tell us like how ridiculous is it? A lot of people are saying music. I'm looking here on my email. Um you know, either records or CDs. Anybody have a lot of cassettes? I have some, I still have a couple of boxes of cassettes just in case they come back. I'll be ready. I'll be able to plug in Michael Bolton. All right, 210-599-5555. Letty is on KTSA. Well, Letty, how would you complete the sentence? This, but... <laughs> what, what? I'm sorry, I think we... Hold, hold on, hold on. We, we missed the beginning of what you were saying. I'm sorry, start again? I said, I'm sorry. I'm kind of embarrassed that I almost have to admit this, but um, oh, okay. I've got a lot of toilet paper, paper towels, and water. Oh, yeah, well... <laughs> I'm not one of those people, okay? I'm not a hoarder, but it's just, you know, I have an elderly... Mom, and, I, you know, I would yeah. think, gosh, if we ever needed something, they needed, I mean, you know, that kind of thing. That's Isn't understandable. That did you, no, I don't think it is. Now, let me ask you, <laughs> did you just start, did you start doing that with COVID, or had you always had a lot of it on hand? I think, I think last year when, um, 
it all started going downhill, you know, with the shortages of, or was it two years ago? I, I'm so discombobulated right now. I can't even remember how long, you know, no. we've been in this situation. But um, I just remember on the Nextdoor app, there were so many people that were left, you know, people, nurses that were working and teachers and everybody that were left, like, with nothing. I mean, so everybody kind of got together and it was really nice to see people helping other people so mm-hmm. i always thought mm-hmm. well, it would be nice to have something extra in the event that somebody right. you know would need it so um yeah we i mean we don't hoard we just we just figure when we're there let's just get one but no. um but i mean i'm running out of space let me put it that way. well <laughs> as long as you're not like anymore. as long as you're not like making furniture out of it or no, it's blocking no, no. the windows like, yeah you're right. sculptures or anything like right. that no no right. no nothing okay like well then i think you're all right letty i i don't <laughs> yeah. blame you for i don't blame you for keeping a lot of that on hand I think that's a smart idea. Thank you for the call, Eddie. Uh, Mike is on KTSA. Mike, what do you own a ridiculous amount of? Hi, Jack. Um, I have a ridiculous amount of uh, music memorabilia, specifically um, uh, flyers and posters related to Hmm. live music. Um, So I started collecting these things probably around late 19... I was about eight or nine years old, so that would be like 79... Um, uh, my parents used to hang out at the armadillo in Austin. And, um, so, uh, a popular, uh, poster artist, Jim Franklin, um, did a lot of the flyers from that, uh, there and, and several other guys. Anyway, as a kid, I, that picked my interest in that. And I got flyers then. And ever since then, I'm 50 years old now, I probably have 50 pounds worth of paper. Wow. At least. So way more than you can, way more than you can display in your in your home. I can't, yeah, I can't frame it. Yeah, I have frames like flyers and stuff, um, in all genres from you know punk rock to Americana to whatever. But um, you know, it's I have stuff framed that I, I have more stuff. I could fill a couple, probably a couple bars. Well, boy, it sounds that sounds like a cool collection. I mean, if you ever decide to do an exhibit, yeah. I would pay to see all that. So you know, yeah. I, it's, but at this point, it's like when you start, when you get to be about fit, like when you get to be middle aged, 50 years old, and I start yeah. thinking, okay, another 20 years, what am I going to do with all this? Right. And yeah, so, I think that too. I think, well, my daughter just have to throw all this away, and, you know, do I want to have to make her do that? So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Mike, that's an interesting yeah, one. Thank you. Uh, so, Mike has a lot of music memorabilia and posters. What do you have a ridiculous amount of, in your opinion? And Kurt's next on the radio. Hi, Kurt. Hey, Jack, how are you? Uh, I didn't quite catch what Letty had a lot of, but it sounded like it might have been something that I have a lot of. What was Which Letty is? right before Mike? She had a lot of paper products is what oh, she had. Paper products. Okay. So as I was telling your screener, uh, I have a lot of wood. So I'm this guy. <laughs> if, I can, if I see quality wood that's just getting, you know, a pallet, you know, and, I can, and, I, and I've got a pretty discerning eye. I can tell, I can tell the difference between oak and pine, and, and oak is more desirable, and, of course, it's heavier. And, I, and sometimes I get some walnut, and I just get scraps, you know. Um, but I, but I'm always do you, like, you know, do I you build things or, or you know? do, what is I your? I mean, it's not my nine to five, but uh, I, I'm yeah. kind of a hobby craft uh, carpenter. So, so that's, then that's, that makes sense, right? I mean, if you were hoarding, if you were hoarding wood for no reason because you liked wood, that might be weird. But if you're doing stuff with it, that's a good thing, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, it's 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 meant. For, it's got a meaningful destination. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. There you go. Very nice. Yep. Very good. Sounds like you make some cool stuff. Thank you, Kurt. I appreciate the call. I, my mind went in the gutter when Kurt said I have I have a lot of wood. You know, I just I'm sorry. I just it's it, it it's the show should be more adult than it is.
KTSA News Time 641. Coming up this half hour, we'll have the results on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. And we're talking about, and there's no judgment here, okay? We're just curious. It's been interesting so far. What do you have a ridiculous amount of in your home, in your life? Maybe you've got so much of it, it doesn't fit in your home. Maybe you have to keep it somewhere else. It's okay. It's all right. Um, heard a lot about books and records. Um, compact discs. Anthony says clocks. That would be interesting to know, like wall clocks, mantle clocks, all different kinds, maybe, I don't know. Maybe you collected something at one point and you got way more of them than you expected or you you lost interest in collecting it, but you still have the collection. Maybe it's something from your childhood. I I realized the other day I still have a lot of baseball cards. I haven't looked at them in years. And I don't want to throw them away. And they might actually be old now, because I am. <laughs> they were my childhood now. could be potentially antique. 210-599-5555. What do you have a ridiculous amount of around your place? And Steve is next on KTSA. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jack. Hey, if you need someone to haul them old cards away, just let me know. I'll, I'll run over there and we'll get rid of them for you. No charge. <laughs> Okay, well, I think I want to find out what's what before I let them go because there might be some value in there, right? I might Probably that might so be my retirement. Like, Who knows, right? Just like mine, I'm leaving them to my kids, my grandkids. So, what do you have a ridiculous amount of? I have a ridiculous amount of tools and rods and reels and tackle. Hmm. Now, what do you consider a ridiculous amount? Well, I have. So I have hand tools, a ridiculous amount of hand tools, you know. Like a lot of the same thing or something? Like a lot of pliers or a lot of hammers? A a lot of the same thing, a lot of pliers, hammers, screwdrivers, Phillips, common, just just a lot of them. You know, I I can fix, build, repair, or install anything. Tools have always been uh, at my side. Right. And, uh, you know, there's there's a line in the movie uh, – Gran Torino, where the kid asks uh, Clint Eastwood, where'd you get all these tools at? And Clint tells him, a man does not get tools. He acquires them over over oh. a lifetime. And my grandkids and my children, they throw that line at me all the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and not just power tools also. So I had yeah. all the corded power tools. And then they invented the cordless tool, which, in my yes. opinion, is one of the greatest inventions in the history of mankind. Yeah. And so I, I, I acquired a lot of cordless power tools. And, and of course, I'm not going to get rid of my corded tools. They still work fine. They're great. And, you know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story my- that you will get, that you will totally get. So when I moved out on my own, my dad gave me some of his tools, you know, to get me started. And he gave me a corded power drill. And, I mean, this thing was old when he gave it to me. And it had, like, a solid metal casing. And I forget the brand, but it's not even a brand they make anymore. And I used it for years and years, and finally the motor seized up. I cannot throw that away. You know? I, I, it'll, it'll probably never work, and that's okay. I have, a, I have a cordless one that's way more useful and easier to use. But i got to keep his, his drill, you know? I, I I have some of my, my father's corded tools, table saw, yeah. craftsman table saw, and uh and uh, hand tools. Still still have some of those. You you gotta keep that I, stuff. 
I mean, they had their hands on it. They built things in your life with it. They fixed stuff for you with it. you got to keep that, right? You put a power tool in my hand when I was six years old. I built my first desk and chair at the age of six and did my my first room addition at nine. But I tell my, my children and my grandchildren, they'll have to deal with it all. Yeah, that's true. Very good, Steve. Thank you. Great one. What do you have a ridiculous amount of in your life? 210-599-5555. Johnny is on KTSA. Hi, Johnny. Hey, Jack. How's it going? Love the show. It's going. Oh, thank you. So what do you have a ridiculous amount of? (laughs) A ridiculous amount of drums. I've been playing since I was about nine years old, and I just keep buying them, and I still have some of my original ones. I've got probably over 40 snare drums and Wow. Four full drum sets and conga drums and bongo drums and my whole. Wh- where is, is all this stuff? Where do you keep it all? Well, I've got a couple band rooms in my house, and yeah. uh, so but the snare drums are displayed all over. I have racks for them, and yeah. they're in the band room, and they're in the mixing room, and they're even in my bedroom. <laughs> wow, and and I mean, um, what do you hope to do with those, or what do you think will happen to those eventually? Well, uh, you know, when I first started collecting them, it's because I wanted different ones for different sounds. Right. And then I started buying really rare ones in hopes that maybe they'll go up in price and I'll be able to turn around and sell them on eBay or Reverb or something and right. double my money. But I haven't sold any yet. <laughs> okay, well, there's still that possibility, right? That's a good one. I yeah, never heard that yeah. one before. It has a lot of drums. Thank you, Johnny. Appreciate it. JR Poll, powered by Stevens Roofing. Are you hoping for snow in San Antonio this winter? Yes, 52%. No, 48%. What the what? All right. Um, Wendy says, uh, Jack at KTSA.com, I have a ridiculous amount of candles. I've hinted to friends and family that they should not give me any more of them, but alas, I get more every year. See, that's how it is with me in books. When people know you like something, they don't think, well, he likes it, so he already has a lot of them. They think, oh, I know what I'm getting him. They cross you off the list, right? You become an easy person to shop for. You get more and more of the same thing. (laughs) I'm not complaining. I know people, their heart is in the right place. So would everybody please stop giving Wendy candles? I mean, you know, come on. Um, here's, here's, this one's a little different. Um, this guy says, I have every issue of Yachting Magazine from 1982 to the present. Hmm, it's very specific. Alex says, I have too many Hot Wheels cars, about 600 in various carrying cases. So, 600. Um, this is different. Mark uh, writes to Jack at KTSA.com. I have about 15 pairs of prescription glasses that are my current prescription, about every color but pink. Yes, I have purple. So he's doing the whole Elton John thing there with the, the fashion glasses. Now, I have, I probably have four or five pair of glasses, but they're all like different eras. <laughs> you know? You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to wear old prescriptions, but I do. Uh, John is on KTSA. John, what do you have a ridiculous amount of? Okay, well, it's not lumber, but it's boards. I have surfboards, skateboards, wakeboards, windsurfer boards, knee boards, and I'm 54, and I don't use them anymore. You know, but how did you come to collect so many of those? I would just buy them. I was using them, um, Mm -hmm. but I would buy them. 
and I just can't get rid of them. My wife has relegated everything to the barn except for one special one. The last time I got on a skateboard, or last two times, I fractured my wrist, and then I got 19 Ooh. staples in my head. And yeah. so that's that. But I do have a nine-foot Robert August signed by Robert August and the shaper, Paul Strouch, and Pat McGee from Port Aransas, where the board came from. And so that wow. is a gem right there. See, you're like the guy that had all the rock and roll stuff. I want you to open a museum or something. I, I, think, I think I'd pay to see all this, you know? Yeah, and, and I don't mean to be mean, but I'm wondering how many cats Wendy has. If you oh. have that many candles, how many cats do you have? <laughs> is that, is sorry, that, like a, is that a thing, you. if a woman has a lot of candles, she has a lot of cats? I don't know about I, that. All right, okay. I don't know. It's a, it, you know, when you say, I don't mean to be mean, it's still kind of mean. I love you, Wendy. And by the way, candles, you know why people give candles as a gift? You want to know the real reason people give candles as a gift? Candles are the ultimate, I have no idea what to give you gift. When you get candles as a gift, that's a person who has either, who really either doesn't know you, like a, maybe a coworker or something, or it's just sort of a, well, how wrong could I go? I mean, you know, there's nobody that's anti candle, right? Also, I have, the, I have the theory that candles might be the most Regifted gift, don't you think? I'll bet you a scandalous number of gift candles go right back in the gift bag, puff up the tissue paper a little bit, peel off the label. They get regifted. Some of those candles, Wendy, have probably been around a little bit. You know what I'm saying? If they could, if they could talk. Jennifer writes to Jack at KTSA.com. I have a ridiculous amount of puzzles, and she sent a a picture of a pretty good-sized shelf unit in her closet, like built-in shelf unit, loaded, groaning under the weight of boxes of uh, puzzles. So there's all kinds of things people have. A lot of people have comic books. I would have them if Mom hadn't thrown them away. Anyway, thank God for moms to throw stuff away, or we'd be even more inundated than we already are. Tomorrow we'll get started here at 4. We'll talk about what's going on in the news and what's going on in our lives. We'll have the breaking news. You can find a new JR poll or anytime at KTSA.com.